Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, the Bill Gann College of Pharmacy. I'm recording this. It's the second week of October, 2020. And uh, if you're new to the podcast, we do a couple different things here at Onco Farm. We talk about new drug updates for newly approved. Uh, oncology drugs. We talk about uh, new studies that are published and how they may impact care. Uh, and we also talk about, you know, some landmark studies in our Landmarks of Oncopharm series. Uh, we talk about foundational drugs um, <clears throat> in support of care topics. So today we're talking about a foundational drug in oncology pharmacy. It's a true five-tool player. Um, it's dexamethasone, okay? Dex. Uh, now, if you're, if you're not familiar with baseball, the, the term five-tool player refers to a player who can hit for power, hit for average, can run, can play the field, and has a good arm. Basically, can do it all. And that's, that's dexamethasone. Uh, if you like another analogy, it's like a Swiss army knife. It can do just a little bit of everything. And if for some reason you're on like an interview for residency and, and somebody asks you a question that is somewhat common in pharmacy or residency circles... Uh, what three drugs would you take with you on a desert island? Well, if you're talking about oncology, dexamethasone would have to be one of those drugs you take with you on a desert island. It can do so much. <clears throat> so let's talk about uh, dexamethasone, otherwise known as brand name Decadron here in the States, 9-alpha uh, fluoro, 16-alpha methylprednisone, uh, methylfluoropredinazone, uh, maxidex, which I kind of like, uh, hexadecadrol, which I also like, but I'm just going to call it dex, which is what I, what I do. Now, usually when we do these landmarks, we get pretty in-depth on the pharmacology of this. So this is a corticosteroid, glucocorticoid, binds to glucocorticoid receptors, translocates to the nucleus, turns on a whole bunch of genes, maybe turns off some genes. Um, and if you search you know, the pharmacology literature or pharmacology textbooks, uh, you'll often find the word unknown in whatever description about the mechanism of action of dexamethasone. Uh, so, you know, we don't really know. Uh, exactly how it works, at least I don't. Okay, we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that. Um, a little bit of history about dexamethasone. Now this is, you know, I don't know where this first came from. Uh, I found uh, some reports about it being uh, first synthesized in 1957 by Philip Hinch at the Mayo Clinic, who um, at least one of my attendings will know uh, by heart that he won or shared the Nobel Prize for Medicine for his discovery of uh, cortisol. Now, uh, where I read this suspiciously cited Wikipedia, which doesn't have a citation, so I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, I also found that it was discovered by Merck Chemists in 1958. It was FDA approved in 1958, first mentioned in PubMed in 1961, and you can find a 1958 publication from the Journal of the American Chemical Society that doesn't have Hinch as an author. So I don't think it was discovered by Hinch. I think it was discovered by Merck, who you still see their name on the uh, Decadron package insert uh, to this day. You know, I don't want to get into a whole bunch of the physiologic effects of this. It is a corticosteroid. It takes a little bit of time to work because it's got a, uh, you know, gene uh, transcription has to happen. That takes some time. Physiologically, the effects can last for 24 to 36 hours, even though biologically <clears throat> or, you know, pharmacokinetically it has a short half-life but, but does still have uh, those effects last even after the drug is out of the system. Um, so why are we talking about this as a landmark of Oncopharm drug? It's, it's a corticosteroid, right? It's, it's a heavy steroid, uh, as, as is factually correct. Uh, 0.75 milligrams of dex is roughly the same anti-inflammatory potency of 5 milligrams of prednisone, so it's about six times as potent as prednisone. Well, the reason we're going to talk about it, it's an anti-neoplastic. It is. It's an anti-emetic. 
It's a pre-medication for many oncology drugs. It's anti-inflammatory properties, which are useful in certain uh, oncologic emergencies. It's immunosuppressant. It's, it's an antipyretic, and that's an important, uh, uh, it's important uh, attribute of, of dexmethasone. Um, so we're going to talk about, you know, kind of where this drug is used and a little bit of clinical pearls I've picked up over the years. But first, why don't we call this a SED? We don't call prednisone a SED. Ibuprofen is an NSAID, but we don't call dex a SED. Think about it. we got small cell lung cancer and then non-small cell. We've got Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's. We've got NSAIDs. We've got non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. But I don't call dex and we don't call steroids SEDs. Seems a little odd, don't you think? I don't think it's going to take off, but I don't know why they're not called SEDs. Okay, so first off, let's talk about DEX as an anti-neoplastic. So it's got activity in, in Hodgkin's disease, although we don't, most of our, none to my knowledge of our Hodgkin's regimens include dexmethasone, be it cups, got some prednisone, uh, but it's certainly included in many non-Hodgkin's lymphoma regimens. Uh, it's a backbone agent in the treatment of multiple myeloma, uh, also used in some ALL protocols. Uh, so as an example, um, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma slash ALL regimen HyperCVAD uses dexmethasone 40 milligrams a day on days 1 to 4 and on days 11 to 14. And I do want to point out um, its antipyretic activities with regards to the dex on days 11 to 14. Uh, one of the first patients I ever took care of uh, was receiving HyperCVAD. Uh, by day 10, 11 of HyperCVAD, you would expect the patient to be pancytopenic, and this patient was neutropenic. Uh, and spiked a low-grade temperature, but it was below the magical cutoff of 100.4. Uh, and I came on kind of after this had happened, and uh, because it was 100.4, the neutropenic fever protocol didn't kick in. The patient did not get broad-spectrum um, antimicrobials. The patient was on 40 of DEX and was spiking a temperature uh, up to you know 99. Uh, without DEX, that fever would have been the 100.4 and would have probably gotten broad-spectrum antibiotics, uh, and there was a bad outcome there. So do remember its antipyretic activity can mask a fever, especially in some of those hyper-CVAD patients on days 11 to 14. Uh, in the DHAP protocol for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, it's 40 milligrams uh, on days 1 to 4. So that 40 milligrams times 4 days seems to be a common dose. For multiple myeloma, you'll see 20, 40 milligrams uh, often weekly. Sometimes days one and two of every week. Sometimes days one, four. Uh, there are certain myeloma protocols where it's, uh, you know, 40 milligrams times four days every four days uh, as a pulse to get folks started. Commonly used for inpatient uh uh, inpatients who require immediate treatment for multiple myeloma because you can give DEX right away and not wait uh, to get your, your image. Uh, now, how does it work as an anti-neoplastic? We don't really know. It does seem to have something to do with apoptosis if you read uh, the pharmacology. Um, but I do want to emphasize that this, this spectrum of activity as an anti-neoplastic is limited to lymphocytic malignancies. Uh, for whatever reason, steroids do kill lymphocytes probably has something to do with your uh, immunosuppressive effects as well. Uh, so it is an antineoplastic with regards to, you know, lymphocytic uh, malignancies, most notably non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, acute, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, acute lymphocytic leukemia, and then myeloma, which is a plasma cell uh, disorder. Let's talk about it as an anti-medic. Uh, this is uh, a joke <laughs> that I tell in class every year. Uh, I'll ask students, how does dexmethasone work as an anti-medic? And they don't answer. And I'll say, that's right, nobody knows. It doesn't get a laugh in class either. Um, so doses have been studied up to 20 milligrams of dexmethasone. 
Uh, it's a great drug as an antiemetic. It is synergistic with 5-HT3 antagonist at preventing acute chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, and it is one of the best, if not the best, drug for preventing delayed chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. So a dose up to 20 milligrams have been studied. Um, keep in mind that if you're combining it with a prepotent, phosphate prepotent, natupotent, any neurokine 1 antagonist that inhibits 3 4, there are dose reductions. So 12 of DEX with a prepotent is really 20. So if you're using a prepotent, uh, the, the tri-pack, the 125-80-80 of a prepotent, the DEX dosing is 12, then 8888. Uh, if you use FOSA prepotent, the 150 milligram, 150 milligram one-time dose, the DEX dosing is 12, 8, and then on days 3 and 4, DEX 8BID. So keep that in mind. Um, it is, like I said, it's a wonderful drug to prevent delayed uh, chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. It's a wonderful drug to treat delayed chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting if DEX wasn't used to prevent delayed chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. And uh, in the last couple years, there has been a trend in the guidelines based off, in my opinion, poorly done studies, away from including dexmedazone, say, in our AC regimens in favor of neurokinin one antagonist and olanzapine. The same is true for carboplatin dosing. Um, and this can be useful to minimize DEX dosing for some folks, especially when we talk about the toxicity. Uh, but if these patients did not receive DEX on days two and three, and they're having delayed nausea and vomiting, give them eight milligrams of DEX, and that delayed nausea and vomiting will be, uh, will be treated uh, thoroughly in, in, uh, in no time. Uh, well, in a couple hours, not in no time. Uh, so great, great antiemetic dexmethasone. Uh, other antiemetics are used as well. Um, or other corticosteroids are used as an antiemetics uh, and probably have the same activity. Just dex is the, is the most studied. And again, the dosing there, uh, you're kind of your max dose study is 20 milligrams. Uh, of course, lower if you are adding a 3 or 4 inhibitor like a prepotent. We also use it commonly as a pre-medication. And you all know this. You all know that you use dex as a pre-med for, for conventional paclitaxel. Uh, conventional paclitaxel or taxol because of the cremophore uh, diluent. You don't need it for NAB paclitaxel. Uh, it's also a, a pre-med for docetaxel or taxotere to prevent edema. It's a pre-med for pemetrexid uh, to prevent cutaneous reactions like rash and desquamation. Uh, we use it with uh, the ophthalmic formulation potentially or methyl pre or prednisolone eye drops to prevent uh, the, chemical, uh, the chemical conjunctivitis keratitis seen with high-dose cytarabine. So it's got a lot of great utility as an adjunctive and really chemoprotectant uh, for many oncology drugs. Uh, it also has anti-inflammatory property, as I said. Um, so where we see this uh, with regards to oncologic emergencies would be uh, spinal cord compression or potential spinal cord compression. I tell students, if you ever see an order in a pharmacy for 4 milligrams of DEX IV every 6 hours and it's stat, it really is stat, it could be spinal cord compression. DEX can work pretty quickly to decrease any swelling surrounding a tumor, pushing or impinging upon the spinal cord. Uh, and if not uh, treated uh, immediately, could lead to, to long-term or permanent uh, paralysis uh, and dysfunction. Uh, doses have been studied up to 100 milligrams a day in that setting, but have been found to be no better than 16 milligrams a day. Um, also used a lot in patients with CNS malignancies uh, because of a, a cerebral mass effect of the tumor. Uh, and again, the dose there is four milligrams every six hours, uh, tapered uh, as low as you can get without having symptoms come back. And sometimes these folks, uh, like with GBM, glioblastoma multiforma, are on pretty high doses, like say like four twice a day of DEX for a long time after their initial 16 milligrams a day. Um, and they're, they're on that for a long time because as you taper down the dose, sometimes the swelling comes back uh, in the CNS and then the symptoms come back, whether it's confusion, whether it's uh, nausea uh, or, or even seizures. Uh, 
uh, a little bit of a clinical pearl here, though. Apparently, the radiologist, uh, when they do see uh, something funny in the CNS imaging, uh, can, have a, can have a reasonable idea if it may be primary CNS lymphoma. In that case, it may be prudent to withhold your dexamethasone until getting a biopsy because dexamethasone kills lymphocytes. And so there are times that I've seen where dex is used uh, for symptomatic relief associated with mass effect with brain mets, and then neurosurgery goes in, gets a tissue sample, and the biopsy shows necrotic tissue. It was likely CNS lymphoma, uh, and the dexamethasone killed it, so it showed necrotic tissue on pathology, but then we don't have a definitive diagnosis. Uh, and that, in oncology circles, always leaves us in a a tricky situation of trying to treat something without definitive tissue diagnosis. Uh, so it is worth a discussion uh, if that comes up uh, on rounds. It's an immunosuppressant, which we all know uh, as corticosteroids. Um, not necessarily oncologic, but hematologic. Used a lot to treat, or used sometimes to treat ITP. Prednisone's probably used more, but DEX would, would work just as well. Uh, and of course, long-term uh, use of, of corticosteroids, we all know those toxicities. Um, and one of the things I'll point out, um, certainly in the, in the patients that have CNS disease, um, because they can be on, on DEX at high doses for quite a period of time, uh, I'm always on the lookout for thrush, which will happen if they're on it long enough, uh, and myopathy or muscle weakness. Uh, and, and the way that usually manifests is patients have trouble going from sitting to standing. So if you're on, you know, four milligrams twice a day for a month, you're going to have thrush, you're going to have some trouble with some muscle wasting and some weakness from that uh, subsequent myopathy. Okay, toxicities. Uh, now we all know the toxicities of, of corticosteroids. Uh, insomnia, right? Trouble sleeping. Hyperglycemia. I've seen one patient that was on a very aggressive DEX regimen uh, for breast cancer to prevent delayed nausea vomiting, who ended up in the ICU with DKA, a uh, very brittle uh, patient with type 2 diabetes. Um, it, it will cause a transit increase in your white blood cell count uh, when you're using it at, say, the, the 12 milligram or 8 milligram dose as an antiemetic, or 20 milligram dose, certainly. This is a wonderful question to ask students, uh, or maybe even residents, uh, on day two of chemo. So patients, maybe they're getting platinum etoposide, they're getting some DEX. They got chemo yesterday. You come in the next day. Uh, why is this patient's white count gone from 8 to 15? Well, that's from the corticosteroid, uh, causing a transient increase in white blood cell count. Uh, and that gives you questions to ask about why do steroids do that? Uh, you could also then before that ask, why would chemo make your counts go up? I thought chemo made your counts go down and make sure they understand uh, why the counts don't go down right away. With chemotherapy, uh, immature neutrophils that are dying versus circulating mature white blood cells, all sorts of fun teaching points you can you can uh, talk about there. Many of you probably know that uh, you know, we think the, the main reason that corticosteroids cause this transient increase in white blood cell count is demargination. So think about uh, a blood vessel. Where do you want your neutrophils? Where do you want your guards, your sentries? You want them on the periphery. You want them on the edges of the blood cell, of the blood vessels, so they can smell those cytokines that are released at a site of infection and then cross through, uh, you know, the gap junctions in the endothelial lining and travel to the site of infection and, you know, do what they need to do and eat up that bacteria. That's where you want you know, that's where you want your white blood cells to be. It's like a prison. You want your, you want your guards on the outside uh, to look to see if anybody's trying to escape or if anyone's trying to break in. What you don't want to do is put all your guards in one place because if all your guards in the prison are in one place, they can't guard the prison. And that's what happens with corticosteroids with demargination is the white blood cells demarginate. They move from the margins of the blood vessels to the middle. 
And if they're in the middle, when you draw blood, you're gonna, you're gonna see a much higher number of white blood cells because they're easier to collect because they're not uh, sticking to the outside of the blood vessels or the edge of the blood vessels. But because they're not where they're supposed to be, <clears throat> a guard that's out of place is not a guard. And a white blood cell that's not uh, on the edges, rolling along, looking and smelling for cytokines, uh, is going to uh, prevent it those cells from traveling to infections. And part of it's immunosuppressant ac action right there as well. Uh, you will also see potentially some agitation uh, with high-dose dexmethasone. Or any dex is, is really kind of a high-dose steroid. You'll see some agitation. You can even see psychosis in these patients. You can see strange behavior. They can say strange things that doesn't make sense. You can see euphoria. Uh, one notable uh, celebrity recently said, I feel great while on dexmethasone. And people often do feel very good on dexmethasone. There is a, uh, a podcast of Edie Falco, the actress who's on uh, Sopranos, uh, many years ago on uh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Wonderful podcast. And um, she was talking about going through breast cancer chemo and talked about how, you know, that she'd go in to get chemo and the next days after she said, and I'm paraphrasing, and you're on steroids. And so I would just feel great, and I would go and run. I'd run harder. I'd run faster than I usually would, or something along those lines. Uh, and that's what happens when people are on steroids. She did say, like, the week later, just felt completely wiped out, which we know. Uh, but steroids do, you, you do feel great. You feel like you're on top of the war, top of the world. Um, one thing that uh, one of the pharmacists I first worked for would always counsel patients on any steroid prescription is, uh, if you've got a to-do list you've been meaning to, to get to, uh, go ahead and uh, refresh that because you're going to have some extra energy. You can knock out some of those projects around the house. Um, you know the, I mean, you know the side effects of long-term corticosteroids. One thing that's kind of unique, uh, if you give dexmethasone IV push, you can have perineal burning. So you typically give it over a slow infusion. Uh, you can see GI ulcers with this as well, uh, just like with NSAIDs, uh, long-term use, or even short-term use, say moderate-term, medium-term use uh, could lead to that. But dexmethasone, you know, it's a drug that can do a whole lot, um, use them a whole lot for a wide variety of oncologic purposes. There's probably a reason I forgot. There's probably a really notable side effect that I forgot because there's so much to talk about for dexmethasone. I don't want to go on for 25 minutes. So this is dex, uh, really a foundational uh, drug in oncology pharmacy. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I appreciate all your, your ratings, uh, your, your reviews. If there's anything that you'd like to, to talk more about or hear more about, feel free to send me a message on the social medias. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNip and follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.